And she ended up, although she started the letter in a very positive way, she ended up the letter in a very negative way. Part of that is because it's a very uncomfortable situation, which hopefully we'll get to at some point, of how to deal with such a situation. But the person didn't know exactly how that they should deal with it, and therefore it ended up to be something very negative instead of something very positive. First impressions are most important. And that starts from even before you open up your mouth. Before you said anything, before you asked for anything, before you made your pitch, the first impression is how the person is looking at you. So that impression is made by a number of things. First of all, how you dress. If you're coming in a big rush and you're late and it's out of Shabbos and there's only a little bit of time before doing everything and you're rushing out of Bismedish and you're going to your Mitzrayim route and you don't even recognize that because of the time, what exactly happened. So you put in your hand into, into one uh, arm of the coat. The other hand didn't get a chance to get inside, so it's not in the arm of the coat. So you're wearing with one hand like this and one hand like that. Your head is kind of like this because you forgot which way was the front and which was the back. And the cloud, you didn't get a chance to brush it for the last three months. So you're not sure whether it's black, gray, or yellow. And your shirt is half in and half out. So before you even said anything, and you had prepared for the last three weeks, that your opening remarks are going to be pearls of wisdom that are going to be just unbelievable, and you're going to really be able to dazzle the first person that you meet. But what happened? They looked at you and they thought that you're a total slamata. So just by preparing yourself in the proper way, just to look decent, just to make sure that before you go out, or any time when you're walking down the street, that you should have a proper impression, that is something that's very important. Still in all, people are going to have questions. There's a story once about Manus Friedman that he was tired, that in all of the lectures that he went to, that one of the first questions he would talk for his students and all kinds of things, and Achilles, and Simpson, and Pidus, and Kabbalah, and Halakha, and then he would ask a question. And invariably, the first question that was asked was, why do Hasidim dress that way? So he decided that he's tired of that question. So the next group that he had an opportunity to meet with, he decided that he's going to dress differently. And he borrowed from someone a biker's jacket, and jeans, and uh, a schedule, and he walked in, and that's how he gave his, his whole drusha. And he knew that one thing for sure, they're not going to ask why he dresses up there. But he didn't re realize one thing, because the first question that was asked when the person raised his hand, he says, Rabbi, why does Hasidim always only wear black? Everything that was wearing was black, so he still had that question. So in any case, people are going to look at you like you're a little funny the way that you dress, because not every young man in America walks around with such a hat. Not every young man in America has a beard. Not every young man in America has a long coat, an overcoat, and a jacket, and so on and so forth. So look, you're looking a little bit funny. 
Let's not fool ourselves. You look different than the kind of people that they're used to seeing. But there's a big difference whether you look presentable or you don't look presentable. So before you even say your first word, give yourself a minute to check how you're looking. Check when's the last time that you shine your shoes or you brush your hair. And it makes a tremendous difference in the impression that people are going to have on you when you're going out to the church. Now, you're going out and everything is checked properly and you're ready to go out. And now you're going on your retirement route and you're meeting people for the first time. What the pro most proper thing to say is, is not a double hashavah lechol message. There's not a special word that you could say that if, you, if everyone says this opening line, immediately it's going to grab. Because every person is different. And the way that it comes out for one person is not necessarily going to come out for another person. It's not going to come out the same. And since we, are, we have different personalities, and we act a little bit differently, and we, some person is more serious, and some person is more lively, and this and that, there's not just a standard word that you can say that's an opening line. However, one thing that is standard is that it should be said in a way that the person be able to understand it. Now you think that that's something that's very basic. Of course, if you're going to say it in a way that they don't understand, then you're not going to get your message from. And I don't mean talking English. I don't mean that you should remember that you're not in Yeshiva, you shouldn't talk English or Hebrew, you should talk English. I don't mean that. I know you're all going to go out and you're going to talk English to the people, or the best English that you know. English, whatever it is, Yeshiva, but the language is your best at communicating. What I mean is how you are saying it, in what tone you are saying it, and in a way that people should be able to hear you. If you come over to a person and you say, the person is going to say, ah, what? What are you, you know, I'm going over. <laughs> what are you saying? No, you want to run project. If you're saying it low, if you're saying it in a mumbled voice, if you're not being clear, then the person's not going to understand what you're going to say. And at best, they'll take out a quarter from a pocket and give you something to the homeless. But I'm exaggerating, of course, but sometimes it's very difficult. You're embarrassed. You have to get up the whole gumption that you need to be able to go and ask the person the particular for the question. But at least if you say, excuse me, pardon me, would you like to put on spilling today? And you say it in a voice that's clear and loud, so at least you know what you're talking about. Then he asks you the next question, but what's spilling? And you say, don't you know phylacteries? <laughs> if he doesn't know what spilling are, he's not going to know what phylacteries are. I guarantee you. He's not going to know what phylacteries are. The first thing that you should do is probably, especially if you're going into someone's office, that you should say, we are rabbinical students that are in the area, and if you have a moment or two, we'd like to invite you to participate in a special mitzvah since Shabbos is coming tonight. First of all, you're going to ask his permission to take some of his time, because after all, 
people do have other things to do. They weren't just waiting until someone would come into their office or come into their shop and to take some of their time. That's what you go into a Chabad house and you find a rabbi, he has nothing to do and he needs something to take up his time. But a normal person who's in a business, a profession, is on the street, he's going from place A to A to B, he has things to do, people to see, places to go, and therefore you have to ask his permission. If you ha but you tell him, Lechatzkila, that it's only for a moment or two. So you're being nice, you're being polite, and so on and so forth. A couple of weeks ago, we got a, a, um, we got a phone call. It was left on my voicemail in Chabad House from some storekeepers in a, one of the shopping centers that you've been going from at Sinai. And the lady gives a whole rough and she says, how nice the young men are, they come in, they're very polite, and it's very nice to meet with them, and they have all these brochures, and so on and so forth, but they don't appreciate the religion that's spoken about on company time. Okay, so they had a certain problem, and this was the problem that they were saying. But even in the negative, they were so impressed, the lady was saying, they were very polite, they were very nice, they, their uh, presentation was good, but we have this and this problem. And that can happen. That can happen from time to time. Okay? You can't necessarily intrude on people. But look, I if you are letting them know that you are cognizant of the fact that they have a busy day and they have a busy schedule and that you are intruding into what they are doing, they're going to be much more receptive to what you have to say. Very often, the person is taken by the mitzvah, and he wants to put on filling, and you know, he agrees to put on filling, and while he's putting on filling, he's starting to think about all the deep and philosophical questions that he has, that he has that's been on his mind for the last 55 years. And all of a sudden, when you're in the middle of putting on filling with him, and then he asks you the question that's been on his mind for all of these years, and why do bad things happen to good people, and why his grandchild is going off with a non-Jew, and why his wife doesn't want to keep a kosher home, and all these kinds of things, and doesn't realize that he's talking to someone who's much, much younger than he is. And it does not yet have a certificate on the wall that says he's a rabbi and he's already has full of the wisdom. He only has part of the wisdom. So now you have the question that a person is asking you. And you're not sure, actually, what's the best thing to tell him. What do you do? What's, what will you do if all of a sudden someone asks you a deep philosophical question and all you want to do is put on children? That's an excellent answer, but that's not the only answer you should give. Other suggestions? What? Make a breath on the story, that's good. I don't
that of course it's off-putter, then she would go back and tell the husband how foolish it is. The fact that now that he, uh, that I said that, I have to look it up, so it shows that every question is important. This lesson is something that we have to understand when anyone asks us a question, that you should never make the person who is asking the question think that the question is not an important one, whether you know the answer or you don't know the answer. That's just uh, my mom's Okay. You're coming into the person's office, and he comes, and you tell him that this whole drusha, that I have a moment or two, would you like to put on the phone? And he says, no, I don't want to put on the phone. What do you do next? He doesn't want to put on the phone. No. something 
that later on, that managed to need for you. will be able to use it, it's going to help you very, very much. You come into the guy's office, and the secretary tells you that he's out today because um, it's, he's, he's away for the weekend, he's, he's celebrating his anniversary. She just happened to say something like that. She's celebrating his anniversary. And the next week, when you go into his office and you tell him, I'd like to wish you a very happy anniversary, the guy's going to be Mama's floor. He's Mama's floor. I have a Balabas who every year I call him on his birthday. And he's Mama's amazed how I remember. Now, people that are more organized, you have these Lotus organizers and you put everything down and you get all the information and he's a Mama's organizer. I'm not that organized yet. But it happens to be that this Balabas has the same birthday as one of my children. So, and I can have at least nine Balabasim that are shy to have birthdays like my children, you know, so it's, it's pretty good. So, it happens to be that I remember about him when I'm thinking about, when my wife reminds me that one of my children are having a birthday, so I remember also about this Balabas. And he's always amazed that I remember his birthday or that I remember something else. It's the same thing, you get some information that you heard from the secretary or that you, he once told you that it happens to be your birthday, you write it down on a piece of paper and you hold it for the next year and if you're, when you're leaving the Mississippi and you're graduating, you give it to the department that are still behind that they should hold the note to know that Mr. XYZ has a birthday and has a anniversary during this time and it can make a very big impression on him as well. These little things mean a lot to people. What happened though, the person, Imam Mish, doesn't want to talk to you. He doesn't want to know from you, he doesn't, he can't get past first base, he doesn't want to know the first thing. Don't worry about it. What? Let me tell you a story. Last year was a big uh, controversy about um, the, the, Jewishness, the Jewishness of every Jew. There were some rabbinim who came out with a statement that was, I think, misinterpreted by a lot of people to say that if someone is a reformer, conservative Jew, that in fact they're not Jewish. I think that Rabbanan meant to say something else, but the way that it was picked up in the newspapers were that if someone, that Orthodox rabbis say that if you are a conservative or reformed Jew, you're not Jewish. As a result of that, you can imagine there were tremendous problems that uh, people once said are the Orthodox, they're trying to break apart from everyone else and so on and so forth. One of the newspapers in Chicago is called the Chicago Sun-Times. One of the columnists for the Chicago Sun-Times wrote an article after that saying, and I always thought that I was Jewish. Basically, he took apart that whole situation and he said that here, I always thought that I was Jewish, and now I find out that I'm not. And he wrote a very, very nasty article 
against Scalise. It happens to be that Lubavitch somehow also got smuggled into the into the house. Because he wrote that someone once came to collect a Pushkin's house and the person made some kind of a comment that was not very nice. And uh, so he said, the Lubavitchers don't like me either. Turned out later on, we found out that it wasn't exactly that was the case. It's questionable whether it was Lubavitcher that went there or someone else that went there. But Lubavitch got into the story. What? So the Pio, it was uh, early in the morning, at 6 o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call from a woman who's a supporter of ours. And she says, I want you to come to my office at 10 o'clock today. I had no idea what we're talking about at 6 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what she wants from me, what happened. Maybe she wants to give me a big donation. I was hoping, but from the tone of her voice, it didn't sound like So, I come to her office, and she takes out this article, and she shows me, she says, read it. What are we going to do about it? So I read the article. She says, um, so I read it, and I was trying to think while I'm reading, what am I going to answer, what am I going to tell her? So I said that there are two problems. There's one problem overall, that what is the, what is the effect of this article? And the other problem is this person, the individual person that wrote the article themselves. So as far as the effect of the article, I think we have to put an ad in the newspaper that shows that every year is important and the concept of obviously show. And I said, of course, if you wanted to put an ad in the newspaper, we need someone to, uh, to sponsor it. And she was willing that she was going to sponsor this uh, full-page ad. Okay. And then from her office, I called the guy was All I got was this voice man. So I said, please call me back. I want to speak to you for an appointment. I got back to my office, and on my voicemail now, there was a message from him that he was returning my phone. After three more times back and forth, finally I got in touch with him. So I said, okay, what would be your first comment? What would you say to you call him back. What are you going to say? What? I didn't hear what he said. Tell me. Hello. That's a good start, no? What? Okay. Would you like to run it? No? <laughs> Any other suggestions?
to, what am I going to do? I'm going to start having an argument with on the phone. He probably got 15 other phone calls from people. And, and I'm an, I don't even know him. It's very difficult to win an argument with someone over the phone who you never even met, met before. And you have to take away the cloud, all of the, the first thing that you have to do is disarm the person by being nice. What, what do you do when you invite, when a shliach goes into a new city, the, the best thing that a person can do is to invite them over to their home for a Shabbos meal, for a Purim Sudan, for a Kanekilatkis, food. You can't get angry unless your wife is a bad cook, he's not going to get angry at you. This is the way that you're approaching the person. So he was, first of all, he knew that a rabbi was born. You really didn't want to call me back to begin with, but he was just doing it for, as a favor. So the first thing that I said, would you like to go to lunch? His immediate reaction is, I'm booked for the next two weeks. Even that he didn't want to talk to me about. Because he was, he didn't want to, he knew that even though that I'm trying to be nice, and I'm calling him for lunch, but no problem I said that he needs someone that does over the whole lunch, he's trying to eat his chicken sandwich over there, and then I'm going to tell him what kind of a bad person that he is. So he says he's booked for the next two weeks. So I tried to just keep him on the phone for a little bit and said, you know, uh, you don't know me and you don't really know the work of Chabad, but I think it would be interesting if we had a little discussion and talked about some of the issues. I understand how you feel. I understand how you feel. And perhaps if we get together, we can, uh, we can explore ways of dealing with the subject I'm not saying anything bad against him. I'm, I'm bringing him into the conversation. The person saying, he doesn't want to put on, I don't want to put on film. God's been bad to me all my life. I understand how you feel, but maybe if you understand what Tulan is all about, you'll approach him in a different way. What are you going to tell the person? No, God's really been good to you? And he's been bad. I haven't got paid in 15 years. God's been bad to me. I understand how you feel. Separate sentence. And then, somehow we came up with some, some uh, jokes and this, and humor, which is always a very good thing if you can pull it up. And don't use corny jokes, <laughs> And finally he said, you know what? I was supposed to have lunch with my brother tomorrow. I'm going to blow him off. I'll have lunch with you instead. You sound like a fine rap. Well, I had lunch with him. So do you think that I even dealt with the subject of the article? I waited for him to bring it up. I talked about the body. I talked about the positive things that we did. I brought a couple of books. I brought Toward the Meaning for Life. I brought another book. Um, I brought some brochures of things that we do. And then in the middle of the conversation, he says, you know, I shouldn't have mentioned the body in that article. Even the guys were the furthest from that and so on and so forth that we spoke. But a while later, he, um, I invited him to come to my house for Shabbos. He came with his wife and his child. And um, a while later, he had another uh, baby, a baby boy. And he invited me to the bris. And at the bris, he put on film for the first time in his life. I asked him at the bris if he wants to put on film. He says, only if you do it in a private room. He doesn't want to do it in front of all the other people. So we went in a private room, 
And he was flushed crying afterwards when he realized that the first time that he put on clothes in his life was the day that was his son's prison. And then he wrote me a, a letter afterwards after his wife and actually before the prison, after his wife and child came to my house. So then he wrote, uh, his son was then like a year and a half or something like that. He said, well, thank you very much for this meal and everything you've made a uh, strong impact. And all my son can say since uh, we've been at your house is he runs around the house saying, fun rabbi, fun rabbi. He says, I never heard those two words used together. <laughs> so I didn't impact him in a negative way, in a positive way. And I didn't talk to him head on. You can't, you can't win an argument when you're going head on. But if you bring up these things in a, in a different way, then you can be more successful. Got totally off tangent for this uh, for this story, but I think it does bring out a point of how you deal with people. And the thought after you have to come over their head and do it. On the other hand, sometimes you have to be strong with people. It doesn't mean that you should just walk away. You have to size up the situation. If you see a Russian Jew on the street and you're able to talk to him, especially in Yiddish and so on and so forth. And by nature, if you're going to say something a little bit stronger or a little bit more forceful, with a little bit more conviction, it's not that they have a lot of things to do with their, with their time. And they're walking from one store to another store to another store. And if you do it a little bit with a little more conviction, then you're going to get them to do it. Then you definitely should. You have to size up the situation. Know your audience. This is possibly one of the most important things that you ever do inside in, in meeting people, amitsoyim, and fundraising. When you speak to people, you have to know your audience. You're invited to give a drasha someplace. So you have to know who you're talking to. Are you talking to people who are lambdani? Or are you talking to people who don't know the difference between an aleph and a base? And if you don't give the right kind of drasha in the right place, then it's not going to work. The same thing is you have to know who you're dealing with when you're coming up to a person. Who is this person? If you see a big sign in the office that says the law office is of blah, 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 so you can know that probably he's an educated person. If you're walking into a, into a kindergarten, so you know that you're dealing with children who are younger age, and you have to deal accordingly in each one according to that. I don't think we answered the question before. What happens if the person tells you that he's totally not in What? So basically, someone is totally not interested. If you live in the brochure and you go further. What? If he doesn't want to take the brochure, then you come back the next week again with the brochure, unless your mama shoots you up. If he kicks you out, don't forget. What? For a month, don't forget. I mean, you have to see also, according to, the, according to who the person is, how is he kicking you out? The most successful Baal boss that I have is one of the most successful uh, relationships I have with a Baal boss is someone who told me, he was screaming on the phone, he says, don't come to my office. And he's one of the few people that I ever walked into without an appointment. 
because I can tell from his voice that when he told me not to come, he meant to come. Sounds ridiculous, right? Why? How did I know? Because he kept me on the phone for a half hour. And I could Yiddish. And he was telling me all the kinds of things about how his grandfather was, a, his grandmother was a Lubavitcher, and his grandfather was a Misnagid, and he kept me on the phone, Mamish, for a half hour. So every time I would say, though, when could I meet you, Mr. So-and-so, he said, no, 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 don't come to my office, don't come to my office. And, and then he would continue telling another mice about his bubba and his moment and this one and that one, and he kept on talking to me in Yiddish. And then I would say, Perhaps you have time tomorrow. And no, 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 no. But he finished finally after a half hour, Mama said, out of I said, this man wants to see me. He just doesn't want to admit that, they, that I should come. The worst that's going to happen is that I'll tell him, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I didn't mean to impose upon him. You have to say me less right. The pile, I came into his office. He was smiling. He knew that I would be there. He says to me, you from the Babacher Mishpacha? He says, I know you, you're probably a governor. I'm a governor. <laughs> and he pulls out from his, from his drawer a Tilith Hashem Siddur with a picture of the Friedrich Rebbe inside. And it was quite true, his uncle was Balkaira when the Friedrich Rebbe was in Chicago, I don't know, I don't remember if it was the first time or the second time. His mother and grandmother were big, big supporters of the Babich. I have in my house hanging a picture of the Friedrich Rebbe, a very uh, unusual picture that Yeshiva's Tarasamit sent her in the lifetime of the Friedrich Rebbe because it says on the Kriktus Adashrita. And she was probably a big supporter there. And when she passed away, so then he gave me this picture. Uh, I mean, it's supposed to someone who had the roots. So he was telling me no, 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 but really he meant yes, yes, yes. See, also, again, you have to have a push on me and you have to listen to what the person is saying and try to take it in the same way. But usually, 99% of the time, when someone says no, they mean no. But sometimes it means something else, and you have to listen to what the person says. Yeah. Example of a question. Yeah. <laughs> so, first of all, Israel is an easy thing to, to, to answer. You know, it's not like he asks you how many balls do you need for a basketball game and you don't know if it's one or two. You know, that's a more difficult to try to fake your way through this. And he's asking you something about Israel. So you say, yes, I understand that. Politically, it's a very difficult situation, but we are very much, um, we very much believe in God and that, you know, the end will be that it will be good for the Jews. I mean, you can say something hard. And on the other hand, sometimes the best thing to do is just shuffle with your head. You know, <laughs> he's going to say something and he's just shuffling. You go, yeah, 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 that's, that's what I meant. <laughs> Now that's a very important question. That's Mamish a very important question because you could be totally embarrassed. 
first of all, don't ever, ever use a word that you don't know what it means. <laughs> you know all the famous stories about the... Yeah, I'm sorry, you know, you went to the law firm of uh, Schnitzel, Mitchell, and, and Utzel, and you go in and he asks for Schnitzel, and he says, I'm sorry, it's a and you say, when is he going to be back? <laughs> <laughs> be very careful. Don't use the word. On the other hand, what you really should do should try to change the subject. You should just try to go further. Sometimes the people are asking the questions that um, because they want to be nice. You know, you say, well, that is a very important issue, but right now we're focusing on film. <laughs> you know? You try to say something, that's fine, then you know, or you can just say, I don't have an opinion, I don't uh, have an opinion right now on that subject. <laughs> How's about? How about how But if it's a part of the thing that you should understand, you might be a little bit embarrassed. 
<laughs> you could probably say, I'm just not clear on the subject. Instead of saying, I'm not clear about the word, I'm not clear on the subject. So you go, I mean, I can't give you an exact answer because I don't know what the question was or what he was asking, what he really meant, and so on. But you have to, it's not good to try to give the impression that because you don't know the basics of English language. I mean, most people don't talk with dictionary words. I mean, they don't do that. They don't give you five-syllable words when they're talking to you. And it's some, what? Yeah. So the question over here. So you're, you're supposed to say that it's now, uh, tonight is the Jewish Sabbath, so we go around in part of our free time to promote the commandments about the Jewish Sabbath, but we're not a proselytization group, we're not trying to get people from that are not Jewish. And, but we have some information that you think it might be useful. What do you, know? you don't have to say it in those words. You can say it in possible Are there any Jews here? You know, like, this is a stick, stick up. Give me all your Jews. <laughs> I'm here from the IRS, and if you don't have the quota of Jews, then you're going to shut down your store. I mean, that's what it's all about. You're coming in, and you say that... I remember when I was in... Uh, I was actually just in Paris, in the and so it was very difficult to do with you because uh, they know French. First of all, that was... On a regular basis, it wasn't so difficult. The first time that we had to go out in the time on a Friday and to go to Champs-Élysées, we had two major problems. One, that I didn't know how to drive a clutch, and two, that I didn't know French. So we rented a van, and I learned how to drive clutch on the way to Paris. So it was rented, a rented vehicle, so it's not so bad. But I couldn't learn French on the way to clutch. It's fiction. But you don't know French. But Lapel, they told us all you have to do is come to the middle of the city, put up your sign, and you don't know if there's no anything. And Lapel over there, that's not how it was. There people were just lining up in the street. As soon as they saw a tank, they would line up and they would come to put them So this is the mentality of, especially in Mount is that they have a chance to do a mitzvah, they're going to do it right away whether you explain to them or not. But, but then when it came to a mitzvah like Hanukkah or Purim, so you want to have a chance that you make a little Hanukkah party or a Purim party and do something. So I called the, the different councilors, the English-speaking councilors from America, uh, United States, Canada, England, Australia, and I said that I'm a rabbinic student here studying in... Uh, in France, and I know that what it means to be away for the holidays, and since we have a Jewish holiday coming up, I thought that perhaps if you have any Jewish uh, employees in the council, they might want to celebrate the holiday together. So then you're not saying, 
well, hello, you have any Jews there? I mean, what is it? So again, what's your approach to them? You say, hello, we are rabbinic students who are visiting the area and uh, we're distributing some literature and so on. If you have any Jewish employees that you think might be interested, we'd like to visit with them for a few minutes. That's a lot, a big difference between, do you have any Jews working there? Especially 
in the times that we're living in today, when we want to bring this message to the future generation, it's important that we demonstrate this in some physical, tangible way. You try to approach it, you never say that they're wrong. They're right, they are a Jew in their eyes, and no one can take away their Judaism. But the fact that you demonstrate this in a positive way, it will give, make an impact on someone else in future generations as well. And it helps Israel. It helps Israel. So what's this? True. Okay? You're coming into an office, 
and someone is about to meet you. Okay? And it happens to be that the one that's coming out to meet you is a woman and it's not a man. And she puts out your your thing. Uh, her hand. <laughs> she puts out her hand. So what do you do? In your hand, if you have the Khatila brochure, you can give her the brochure right into her hand. You're standing with the brochure and you give it to her. I always, for example, if I'm going to meet someone, I always make sure that in this pocket over here that I have some business cards. So if I'm coming to this to meet someone and it comes out that it's the woman or the secretary, whatever it is, so I say, if she puts her hand, nice to meet you, and I say, I'm Rabbi Master, it's nice to meet you, and I give her the card. Some other people use the hat. It's a very, very good thing that you like that. But the fact of the matter is people aren't stupid. And at the same time, there's nothing wrong with saying that our custom is that we don't shake hands. Just say it like that. Well, they understood that it means that you're not shaking hands with women. What? Yeah. You're not, I don't think that you want to L'Chatila get into a drusha about what it's all about. But if you can avoid it, L'Chatila, then you try to avoid it. Obviously, there are questions that come up, and how do you deal with it, and so on and so forth, and you get involved into the whole question and explanation about it. But last after that you have to L'Chatila, and if you've avoided it to begin with, it's a little easier. Thinking 
that I never get into embarrassing situations or a situation that didn't come out exactly right like this and that. You don't have always all the, the answers. But if you're prepared, if you think about it beforehand, then you could avoid some of the things. And no colonizers, I mean, there's stories, famous story about the guy uh, who said no to putting on film and it ended up because of him that he got thrown back from the library by the president. It's a very famous I had a lady, I went to her store, I went to her for about two weeks, and I came to her one week. I wanted to give her this, and she came to her, and I appreciate that you come every week. I appreciate your concern about us. I have my own literature. What do I tell her? She has her own literature? She has her own literature. She was raised religious, and she's not even more religious. She has her own literature. I don't understand what she's exactly meant. Okay. So what you do is you wait for Purim, and then you go and you give her some shalat once, and then you get it the next time you go uh, before Pesach, and you give her some matzah. You're giving her nice things. You're not just giving her literature. You're going to give her something nice. One day you're going to break through the ice because you gave her something nice. She doesn't want to lose. Go in and say, I just want to wish you a good Shabbos. People cannot criticize being nice. You're nice, and you're polite, just like in that case that I gave you about the, with the center, it said that they didn't want people coming, but they, they appreciate the people were polite and nice. Okay? Any other fast questions? Yeah. What is the bottom line happiness? The happiness is... Okay, the tapless is repile that a person should do a mitzvah. That is the, that is the tapless. The tapless is that someone should put on tefillin, that someone should light Shabbos candles, that someone should say Shema Yisrael, that someone should read the Vatera, that someone should give tzedakah. Repile that should do one mitzvah because we're al sapa Ba'ula and repile, like the Rambam says, that the world is half and half and one mitzvah is going to tip, tip the balance and Mashiach is going to come. So therefore, by doing, getting a person to do one more mitzvah, it's bringing Mashiach. That's the happens. The fringe benefit is that mitzvahs are like Jay's potato chips. There's an advertisement, you can't stop eating. Jay's potato chips. A mitzvah, you can't stop eating. Once you do one mitzvah, then it's infectious, then a person gets on and does another mitzvah, and another mitzvah, and another mitzvah, and people get totally turned around. Even when people say no. If you have two minutes, I'll basically tell you, I'll finish with this story, with this story from this guy who said no. This was a mice in California, and I don't remember, I don't know now if I remember all the problem of the mice, a very beautiful mice, that someone came along one day and, and asked the person, it was a buffer from Yeshiva, and he came and he asked someone on the street that he should please put on the And the man said, how dare you? You have no right to ask me if I'm Jewish, etc., etc., and he totally blew away the buffer altogether. And the buffer probably went back, and he had to go to one of these sessions for 10 weeks straight until he finally figured out that it's all right that he should continue to run the science. But he thought that he blew it totally. The pile, the man came home, and he was thinking to himself, why did I give that young man such a hard time? Did he do something so terrible? All he asked me was whether I was Jewish or whether I put on a He didn't want to hurt me, he didn't want to kill me, he didn't want to do anything. 
And he said, you know what? I have to make up for it somehow. I have to apologize. But how am I ever going to be able to find this young man and to go to apologize? So he said, the only way that I could really apologize is at least if I do what he asked me to do, so in some way that's apologize. So he found the address of a Chabad house, and he went to the Chabad house and told them that he wanted to put on children. And he put on children for the first time. For him, it was not just a one-time experience, and it was very moved from it. And as a result, he started putting on film every day. Because of the putting on film every day, he started wanting to find out more about his Yiddish card, and he started to attend some shiurim. And as the story goes with all of its details, finally he became a very committed person. The point is that when he was about to retire, that he decided that instead of living in California, he's going to move to Israel. So he moved to Israel, and when one time he came to visit by the Kaisel, and he saw how there was a film stand over there, and how he was, uh, people were putting on film with other people. He said, you know what? I have time on my hands. That is the mitzvah that brought me to Yiddishkeit. So he decided he's going to volunteer. And a certain number of hours a week, he would come to the Kaisel, and he would stand by the stand over there and he would ask people for the opportunity to put on school. Meanwhile, there was a lady who her husband had a tremendously large library. And he had sparring that were in Karamitsius, very difficult to find, and it was a library worth a lot of money. They never did not have any children. And when he passed away, it was left up to her to decide what to do with his farm. A lot of people heard about this library and wanted to get the library. They wanted it for the universities or for the yeshivas or for whatever case it might be. And she couldn't decide what, how she's going to do it. So she I think it's wrong. I think that it wasn't she herself, it was maybe someone else in the family, or maybe the man was giving away the thing because the punchline was that Lepayo, this guy came, whoever it was, came to the Kaisal and met up with this person who was putting on film with people every day. And since he was the first organization that approached whoever was the one who was making the decision at the library, since he was the first person to meet up with them, so they decided that this is the organization that's going to get it, and this firm ended up going to the Rebbe's library in New York. What, so how did all this happen? Because of a no. Because if someone on film went up, asked, are you Jewish? Asked, did you want to put on film? And the answer was no. Because of that no, it ended up that the person became a Yid, and that the Rebbe ended up with the library that was a very important thing, and a very so never be discouraged, and no doesn't necessarily mean a no, you don't know what you're coming.